0: Welcome to Surroundscapes, a podcast series featuring a diverse collection of interviews with thought leaders from around the world addressing the general subject of the future of business. This content is curated by Blue Sound Professional and focuses on the role of the oral and visual senses in creating unique, delightful, and compelling experiences to stimulate business. This first series of surroundscapes is focused on the future of hospitality and retail, the sector of the market in which Blue Sound Professional is most active and a market sector hard hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. In this audio podcast, I'd like to introduce James Patton from Patton Studios. James is talking to us from New York and he's gonna talk about some of the really groundbreaking work that he and Patton Studios do in the intersection of how our senses interact with technology. And I should say at the beginning, this is kind of part two. So there is a video element to this, which I highly recommend that you watch because so much of Patton Studios work is very visually based. But don't worry if you haven't watched it. This is a self-contained audio podcast and we'll go through some of this at the beginning of this podcast. So first of all, welcome James. Thanks Graham, thanks for having me. So the first question I'd I'd like to ask you is, what is Patent Studios and what do you do? Patent Studio uh,
1: creates new kinds of interactive experiences for a range of clients from architects and real estate developers, Uh, in the the resale context, to technology companies, for trade shows, to science museums. But what brings all of the work together is that we are aiming to create kinds of experiences that people have never seen before, mediated by technology or enabled by technology. And uh, we focus on experiences that can be had as a group. So one of our, our key values is that technology should encourage meaningful face-to-face human connection. So often technology it, you know, has been blamed for creating isolation. We think that that's not something that's inherent to technology, but it's just a result of kinds of design decisions commonly made around technology. And so our goal is to to put examples out in the world of a different way that we can use technology to, to create experiences that bring people together in physical space.
0: Well, I think you've certainly been very successful in doing that based on the body of work that I've seen in the last few years. And I loved your kind of mission statement. We create experiences that connect people with brands, places, and each other. That seems a really nice encapsulation of the work that you do. So to start with, can, can we talk about how you got to where you are now? You know, give, give us a little detail on your past and what made you do this groundbreaking stuff?
1: Uh, I'd say this path started at MIT, at the MIT Media Lab, or actually maybe before that, I, backing up a little bit, I was a um, freshman in college and I stumbled into a virtual reality lab at the University of Virginia, and that was really my first experience with people studying in a formal way people's relationship to technology. And, you know, in in the context of that virtual reality work, one of the things that really stood out to me is that if you, you know, have someone wearing a VR headset and you put an object in their hand that relates to what they're seeing in some way, that experience suddenly becomes much more compelling for them. So, for example, if you, in the headset, it looks like you're holding a sword, you put a flashlight in the person's hand they will really believe on a whole different level that they're holding a sword in their hand and the experience just becomes that much richer. And so that was my first exposure to the idea that uh, the sense of touch is is not being fully uh, taken advantage of in most of our experiences with computers. That idea brought me to the MIT Media Lab where I studied with Professor Hiroshi Ishii in uh, what's called the Tangible Media Group, which is all about this idea of using physical objects to represent and control information inside the computer. And, you know, did a variety of of work there. was there from, I guess, 1999 to 2007, which was a, a time when our understanding of what computers were was was really changing dramatically you know the iPhone came out in 2007 the internet was was kind of a baby in uh, in 1999, or at least the the you know the, the internet as we know it today and so uh, it was a really interesting place to be at that time and I felt like there was an opportunity to do the the kind of work I'd been doing in school in a commercial context of creating interactive experiences you know, sort of like a, a, a design agency meets a, a technology R&D lab. And uh, I looked around a bit and didn't really find a place that that seemed like a good fit for me after school. So I decided to to start my own company, sort of learned along the way. That, that started in 2006. Uh, so I had a kind of a year of transition between school and, you know, this new company. We've sort of been making it up uh, as we go along. From there, I gradually started hiring people and doing, uh, you know, different kinds of projects. Uh, I started a company uh, from my living room in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and then uh, moved to New York City in 2008. And um, from there, the, the kind of variety of projects really just just took off. And uh, we're, we're, we're moving more, I'd say more and more into retail spaces now. I think that more and more people are understanding the, the need for uh, new kinds of immersive experiences in the retail environment, so that's been really exciting because a lot of times um, we get more creative latitude in working with those kinds of clients than we might get for a large brand who might have a, a very specific message that they want to communicate. That that can be interesting work as well. But you know, a lot of times in a retail space, we'll uh, we'll we'll get a request like, you know, I'm in, I'm opening up a new women's fashion store, and I want you to build something amazing. It's really fun to to work with that kind of guidance. Um, you know, there's some opportunity to put some crazy ideas out into the world and 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 that's one of uh, the my favorite parts of, of the whole process
0: yeah it's it's fun i've known james for the better part of a decade now and when i when we first got to meet each other i was at the back end of building a company into quite a good sized company and the the roles have changed somewhat now because in the last you know a couple of years ago i started up within the lenbrook group this new company sound professional and now I'm going through this process of starting up a business from scratch and I can only wonder at your bravery to do that first thing, first thing out of university it's it's hard enough doing it when you've already built a business or two before but that's just amazing
1: I, w- I wouldn't call it bravery uh, I'd say I was maybe to be kind I was um, dramatically uninformed Uh <laughs> I didn't know uh, what I was up against. Probably would have done it differently uh, had I known. But, you know, it's been a tremendous learning experience. Learning new things is, at the end of the day, which is really one of my favorite things to do. So that's definitely happened, though it that has been uh, very challenging along the
0: way. <laughs> yeah, one of the things you said that, that I want to pick up on, which is really at the center of what you do, and at the center of something that we're seeing coming out of this pandemic which is the reinforcement of different senses so you talked about the reinforcement of sight and touch and uh, a lot of what we're looking at is how to create really amazing immersive delightful experiences primarily in our case through melding this sense of sound and the sense of sight but not only i mean i think for so many years Business has only focused on one sense, the sense of sight. Uh, it's been everything. You know, every company has a logo, but it's actually a visual logo. It's only that sense of, of uh, one of our five senses. And what you're doing is is fusing congruent stimuli from different senses with technology. And and I really think that's the key to creating these. These really immersive experiences that are so difficult to replicate at home.
1: Listening to, to what you're saying, I was thinking about—I think it's a Charles de Gaulle Airport. There are these series of melodic tones that play. I know. I, know. Um, I don't think many people, you know, go through the airport and say, "Oh, that, this is an interesting—you know, those melodic tones are interesting." You know, it's not necessarily something that's going to be. Um, conscious for everyone, but it does, I think, affect almost everyone's experience of what it's like to, to be in a space where someone has thought that through. Each each different sense has a, a, a different you know, style of, uh, of interaction and uh, sort of different design parameters that, that affect the kinds of things that you can do with it. I think that the fact that we've focused for so long primarily on the visual Means that we've also focused, you know, for a long time on a particular set of values and outcomes in terms of what we expect to achieve with a given kind of media intervention. You know, with sound and, and with touch, uh, also smell and, and taste, there are a lot of you know, different outcomes that are, that are equally interesting and, and relatively unexplored. I mentioned LaGuardia airport before in this uh, you know project that we just finished there. One of the things that they're going to be doing in that space pretty soon is, is baking fresh cookies, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you're going to walk through the space and you're going to smell these, uh, you know, and, and some businesses really, really understand, you know, the, the value of smelling their product when you, you know, when you go through the store, but, you know, I, I, I feel like it, with sound in particular, there's just this rich area of, uh, you know, relatively unexplored, um, you know, things that you can do with sound and with space to, to make it feel special and fresh and, and interesting.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, you mentioned a couple of things there. That the For a while now, some supermarkets have been blowing the smell of the bakery through the air conditioning at the front of the store to draw people in. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you mentioned the baking bread, but the other example is, for example, in a, in a department store where you go through the perfume department and it's just this cacophony of smells because everyone's squirting stuff out i also look at the sound side and very few people have sonic logos intel has one t-mobile has one but very few companies have used really that sense of uh, of sound as being uh, powerful and it's interesting as we move towards this multi-sensory environment I mean, we, we've always been in a multi-sensory environment we really think about how we more mindfully use it that people are making basic mistakes like the a hundred different cents in a department store or the the video billboards that you have kind of on the street everywhere now that are just visual noise if you like and one of the things i love about what you're doing is you're really mindfully utilizing all of these senses and putting them together. And I think that's really key as we move through this and get some fluency with using, Yeah, we're fluent in using certainly the 2D visual sense, the 3D bit, we're getting used to now in in a virtual sense anyway. But, But bringing, really ramping up those other senses in a mindful manner is something I think you're really at the forefront of.
1: Oh, thank you. You know, I think it's just a product of um, experimentation and observation, really trying different things and um, seeing what works. And, uh, you know, a a lot of uh, computers started out as, uh, I guess the first computers were, you know, um, commissioned by the military, right? You know, and then, then they became sort of the domain of primarily office work. Now we use them for all sorts of things, but the kinds of experiences that we expect to have with them are still very much a result of the their heritage, you know, that they, they were, uh, they started out in this very particular, very task oriented kind of space. And if we, we think of them more as a medium, as a, a sort of a canvas for creative expression, that leads to a, a really different set of design outcomes and you know just kind of brings us into a really different design space and one of the things that's been a lot of fun for me recently is the team at patent studio has changed over the years and i'd say that uh, now more than ever we have you know people who just really don't come from a technology background at all just ask lots of uh, basic questions which are really valuable you know in terms of. Why does this interaction have to happen in this way? You know, you know that whenever the answer is, oh, well, that's just the way we've always done it, you know that like <laughs> that's not the right answer, you know, yeah. and that you've, you've kind of come to an opportunity to, to try something different that is probably, you know, hopefully something better. You know, one example that I think kind of highlights this is, you know, the first automobiles were developed. They were called horseless carriages, and, and you know, that's an example of uh, a technology evolves, and there are some kind of assumptions based on that technology's heritage or, or lineage that that are just no longer relevant, but still um, live with the, you know, the the influence, the design decisions that are made, and um, yeah, part of what we're doing is is trying to push things in a different direction and, and um, give people ideas about new things that you can try with these magical, increasingly ubiquitous, interactive technologies that, that we have to play with these days.
0: Yeah, there's that phrase that truly disruptive technology is only properly implemented by the generation after the generation that it's invented. Yeah. Kind of makes a load of sense. And um, I'm looking forward to, after all of this is done, coming and visiting you in your new space because I've been there and meeting some of the new members of the team. But what I want to do is is for, for people that really don't know so much about what Patent Studio does and maybe haven't watched the video part of it, maybe talk about a project that, that you've done, maybe your favorite project or one that illustrates best what what, you know, your capabilities are as a studio so that people get an idea of, you know, how it manifests.
1: I have a lot of favorite projects. It's 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 kind of hard to to pick one. Um, maybe I'll I'll give I'll give two examples. One example uh, we did for Intel at the Consumer Electronics Show. So the Consumer Electronics Show must be around hundred thousand people now. It's every um,
0: I think it's more, more like a quarter of a million people. It's massive. Okay.
1: Okay. So very big uh, in um, in Las Vegas in January every year. And uh, Intel had a a new product, the uh, RealSense camera, which is a camera that can see in three dimensions. And they wanted to show off what this camera could do in their booth at at CES. They wanted to give people an experience that they had never had before. And so what we wound up doing is uh, we used, I think we used 37 of these cameras in a, I think it was 110 foot long uh, tunnel. With something like eighty four display screens to create this huge interactive video surface, and there were three different scenes um, one was a kind of outdoor snow and ice scene where when you would walk up, you would see snow kind of collect on your silhouette, and then as you moved that that snow would um would would fall to the ground. And then another in another scene, there were, you know, it's kind of an outer space scene where you can move your body to kind of smash asteroids and this kind of thing. And so it was this highly immersive group experience, but it was enabled by this cutting edge Intel technology. Part of what I was really proud of was my team hates when I talk about this, but the timeline, you know, the actual development, uh, we did this from, you know, the the actual production part of it uh, was around five weeks from start to finish. But at the beginning of that time, the engineers at Intel said, I don't see how you're gonna be able to do this the hardware was not designed to be, you know, used, you know, with 37 copies all connected to, you know, just a few computers. I don't see how this is going to be possible. And then at the end, they said, wow, you did it. You know, that's amazing. And, and, and so that's kind of the space that we inhabit of really kind of being on the bleeding edge in terms of designing our own electronics and sensors and uh, using um, techniques that are kind of in the realm of academia, rather than kind of production use and sort of getting them ready for production use, to give people experiences that they haven't had before. We like to start from the the interaction, you know, with a particular experience in mind. But the idea is that we're able to design such that the technology is not going to limit the kinds of experiences uh, that we create. So that that year uh, was 2015. Uh, Intel's booth won best in show. Forget the exact number, but. Uh, A huge percentage of people coming out of the booth said that they were excited about RealSense technology and that they understood what it was. So it was really effective in terms of the quantitative metrics that that Intel collects in terms of how their their booths do. Um, So that's kind of, you know, an example of the kind of thing that we do for clients we we also do a lot of internal uh, research and development work uh, one project that we're working on right now is called lift it's a lamp that picks up human activity in its environment and then it actually moves in response to to that activity so it changes shape so this is intended as a just kind of a playful experiment in terms of what happens if you inject this this playful interactivity into an otherwise uh, inanimate object. We're working on making it a product now, and we envision it living in, say, the a hotel lobby or potentially a, a retail space. Uh, so, so those are two examples that give a flavor for the the kind of work that we do.
0: That's great, thank you. And uh, there was something you you mentioned there that I want to pick up on. Because I don't know, I haven't talked to you about this before, but you mentioned when you were talking about the Intel experience at CES, which I was lucky enough to go to, and it, it was amazing. You mentioned kind of starting with the experience that you wanted the people to have in mind first. Is that how you usually start projects? That you know what you want people to experience and how you how they experience it comes after that.
1: Yes, that's how we start. One of the things that's changed as the business has matured is, is uh, we're pretty process focused. It starts with understanding, uh, wh- you know, why did the client come to us? What is it that they're trying to achieve? And then um, we, we do a lot of background research to try to understand how they got to where they are. And the uh, let's say they make cosmetics, then we will do a lot of research about the, the cosmetics industry and, and, you know, what are current trends and that sort of thing. And then from there, that informs this ideation process, which key element of that is just about the the kind of looking at it from the, the context of the senses, you know, what is the sort of the sensual experience that you, that you want someone to have in a space? So Um, we'll we'll talk about materials that we're interested in, tidbits of of experiences. We have a big box on our meeting table full of note cards. And whenever someone comes up with an idea that just doesn't seem like a good fit for the project at hand, but might be interesting later, we put it in that box of note cards. And then uh, every once in a while, we'll kind of pull them out and see if anything seems like a good fit for, for where we are. And And then from that point, from that perspective, you know, from that's when we kind of get to, okay, well, how can we achieve this? And we start looking at the, you know, technologies that we might use to achieve a particular experience. And then we look at the feasibility and then finally try to sell clients on those ideas.
0: That's interesting. It put me in mind those cards of Brian Eno's oblique strategies. Um which is something I, I have them and, and really interested in, in how those kind of thought-provoking cards can get you out of your comfort zone. When clients come to you, do they know why they came to you? Do And what I mean by that is they could come to you because you've done cool stuff for someone else, or do they know what they want from you, or do you have to work with them to actually get them to a point where they know?
1: It really varies depending on the client. Some clients can articulate a very clear reason. They have a strategy and they have a clear understanding of how we fit into that strategy. Other times it's, it's sort of a, a word of mouth kind of thing where they say, I'm starting up a museum and I talked to my friend who also started a museum and, and they said I should come talk to you. Of course, we're always excited to, to talk to new folks, um, but sometimes we learn as we, you know, talk to uh, the clients more that, that what they're looking for isn't really what we do. You know, there, there are certain spaces that we tend to avoid, things like uh, mobile apps and websites and that kind of thing. And, experiences that are very heavily focused on social media. Um, There are lots of companies out there that do these kinds of things and do them really well. It's just not our area of focus. And so sometimes we have to say, you know, we'd love to work with you, but we feel like we're probably not the best
0: fit. That was interesting because I see that in your work, that a lot of technology is kind of falling back to mobile apps and, and kind of social media, mindful social media interactions. And your work almost willfully exists outside that in in more tangible experiences but it is interesting because in the video part of this you mentioned a chinese installation for La Mer cosmetics that generated over 1 billion social media impressions in in a two-week installation so it's interesting that even when you don't design for social media if the experience you create is compelling enough you get that anyway.
1: That's totally true, and that's what we tell clients. You know, our social media strategy is to create something amazing that that people will uh, be excited to take a selfie. Uh, you know, in your space and 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 post that. We've been asked uh, on occasion by clients to you know kind of shoehorn a social media component into an installation where it didn't necessarily fit. And if you look at the statistics uh, on an, an activation like that, where the social media component was sort of forced in there, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll see numbers like, oh, five people used that part of it, you know, over, <laughs> over the entire, you know, lifetime of the installation. Um, so it really needs to fit. But, you know, I, I feel like the most authentic way is just to create an incredible experience. And that's what people want to share on social media.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it it almost feels like when a company goes to an ad agency and says, I want you to make me a viral video. And it's like, you don't make viral videos. Videos become viral. Going to someone creative with an outcome in mind rather than creating something that might stimulate that outcome to me is kind of back to front.
1: Yeah, I totally agree
0: like i'm a 60 year old guy and i want to go to la Guardia airport to to take a selfie with that, those graffiti artists i'm not your target demographic but the, but it's such a compelling experience i mean it'd be so cool to go there and, and get that image and have that as your facebook profile picture or whatever so you're creating things that are making people want to go to places and do things that they maybe wouldn't necessarily want to do or have thought about doing before so that to me is just remarkable.
1: Yeah, that's the goal. And if we can get you to let your guard down and uh, act silly in public, then you know that's kind of a bonus point.
0: Yeah, I don't normally need any, any persuasion to do that sort of stuff. <laughs> Usually late at night, but... Uh... <laughs> Anyway, we're probably coming to the end of this audio section of the SurroundScapes podcast. Is there anything that you, you'd like to say before we go that, that we haven't covered?
1: I'd encourage people to, uh, to take a look at our website, patentstudio.com, P-A-T-T-E-N studio, uh, with no S at the end, dot .com. If they're, if they're curious, there's a lot of uh, different kinds of projects uh, up there on the web. And also, I just I think this is a really interesting time in terms of how the world is reacting to COVID-19, and um, you know, it's it's going to be really challenging for retail and hospitality. But I think that it's going to create an opportunity for us to to rethink what people's experiences in those spaces can be like. It'll I think lead to some really interesting new ideas in, in that space as a result. And so um, I think that that's the, one of the bright sides of this challenging period that we find ourselves in, and I'm optimistic about how that turns out.
0: Great, thank you so much, James. I really would encourage people to go to com. The work that James is doing, particularly if you haven't seen the video bit, just go there and look at it. The work he's doing and the studio is doing is unlike any other work being done that I know of in the world. And it really melds in in such a powerful way these different senses together to create something very special, very engaging. You know, it's rare that you that you think back to your memory of lying on the couch, watching a Netflix film, eating take home pizza. But you can go to one of James's experiences like the CES booth, like seemingly going to LaGuardia now, and have experiences that you will remember for the rest of your life. And that's that's key. And as we go forward and we look to build our businesses coming out of this, taking advantage of people like James and the work he's doing is key. So please investigate his website. It's really, really worth doing thank you so much for your time uh, in listening to this surroundscapes audio podcast episode please come back and listen to some more we have some great people from all around the world talking about all sorts of immersive stuff that could help you build your business so thanks so much for your time